0: Good morning again. This is the second hour of "Mornings with Carmen." If you missed the first one, you can go back and listen to it at myfaithradio.com or on the Faith Radio app, um, which I totally love. And hats off and kudos to not only those who developed it, but those who make sure that it's maintained and um, updated. I just I appreciate the the people behind the scenes in this ministry more than um, more than you could ever imagine. All right, uh, let's jump into the Word of God today. If you haven't been in the Word yet, you got no business being out there in the world. So let's get into the Word of God. I'm going to read from Romans 14 and 15. And the reason that I'm doing that is these two chapters um, really best read together. I'm not going to read the entirety of both chapters, but uh, here you go, the first several verses of each of the chapters. So uh, chapter 14 leads off this way. Again, this is the Apostle Paul talking to uh, Christians in Rome, remembering that the Christians in Rome, some of them have a Jewish heritage, some of them have a pagan heritage. Uh, Many of them um, are are sort of Greek in their thought processes. Um, And, uh, you know, they come out of a variety of what I would call spiritual practices. And so, you know, how does all of that come together in the unity of one body that would be called the local church? Here we go. Uh, Romans chapter 14. These, these people, by the way, have very different opinions about some things. So that's what he's addressing here. I mean, I don't know if you're in a church where people have different different opinions about things, or you live in a world where people, where Christians have different opinions about things, but mm, I do. So here you go. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Do not, not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he can eat anything. The other person eats only vegetables. Uh, let not the one who eats Despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on a servant of another? It is before his own master, that would be God, that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while we're talking here about festivals and celebrations. One person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. That's sort of the, you know, all places and spaces and times are holy. That's the Kypernium crowd. That's probably me. All right. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in the honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. None of us lives to himself, None of us dies to himself. If we live, we live unto the Lord. If we die, we die unto the Lord. So then whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or uh, or you, why do you despise your brother? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And then these opening verses from the 15th chapter of Romans. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, Paul's not talking there about physical strength. He's talking about spiritual strength, those who have uh, a strength of faith, a a maturity in Christ. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good and build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, he he reproaches the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Friends, Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Therefore, let us welcome one another. Dr. Linda Mental joins me next. We'll be right back. This is my fire. All right. Joining me now, Dr. Linda Mintel. You hear her here on the Faith Radio Network, the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. You can also find her online at drlindamental.com. Linda, let's talk about dealing with explosive people. <laughs> Have you met a few of them in your life? <laughs> I might. Well, and you know, here's the thing, like there, I think there are times when I am one.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a difference. So um, I wrote a blog about this and there's a difference between people who, occasionally, you know, have been so frustrated and so upset or so angry that you have an explosion um, once mm. in a while. And there's a difference between that and somebody who has somewhat of a pattern of doing that. So in the blog, I was looking at people who you ask them for a basic request, or you're just having a conversation, you're out to dinner, and suddenly they just exploded the waitress or they explode at you and mm. you're, you're sitting back and you're looking at it, and you're going, Whoa! What just happened? Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm getting more at people that have a real problem with the impulse uh, of aggression and cannot figure out a way to regulate that. Now, the good news is you can always regulate uh, an emotion, um, and you can train yourself to do that. And you can teach yourself to do that. And obviously, Carmen, you and I believe with the power of the Holy Spirit in us that. That fruit of the Spirit, that love that is in us from Christ, helps us with self-control. So there's there's great hope in dealing with this. But we're going to do a show on this in a couple of weeks because there has been a lot of this reported in the culture where you know, people are having a conversation, somebody is just driving down the road, and they get cut off by a car, and people get explosive in their anger. And it's a problem in our culture that really needs to be calmed down. So just want to give people a little bit of help with that anger.
0: I'm wondering um Linda as we as we talk about this um there are probably some headlines that come to people's minds like what would lead a person to uh respond with road rage or what would lead a person to respond with a you know a violent act with a knife or a gun um mm-hmm. in the midst of a conversation about I don't know how you did your hair. Right. So um, or or whether or not you picked up the room, uh, cleaned up the room. So I I do think that when you as soon as you say there is evidence of this in our culture, we all recognize it. And we do wonder why um, so many people in the culture seem so close to the edge and why anger and violence is against other people is the is the outlet like why it like what's going on in us
2: yeah so it's it looked at the roots of this um, because this is one of the things i have to teach um future doctors this is one of the diagnoses it's called intermittent explosive disorder and it's just like it sounds it's an ied it's like the bomb IED Mm. suddenly and uh, you don't see it coming you didn't know it was there you didn't know there was you know something that was going to explode So there are are a number of people who struggle with this. It's called an impulse disorder because the impulse is really strong. And what we think happens with people is that that anxiety builds up. They a lot of times have a very low frustration tolerance. And, you know, you can see this early on in babies, Carmen, if you've ever worked in a church nursery, you see the baby who's over there just cooing and happy and is smiling and just seems oblivious to any problems in the world. And then you see the babies that are constantly irritable and frustrated and crying and upset And you can see a real difference in the temperament sometimes of a child. So some people just are more prone to that low frustration tolerance. And then if they're in an environment where they see anger explosive in front of them, in their families, if they see people not coping well and lashing out and yelling at other people then we get what we call sort of a family transmission where you learn to cope the way you see your parents and other people around you cope. And so if you're more prone to anxiety, frustration, and what we see happens with people is that they there's a trigger and then it starts to build. It starts to build and then there's explosion and that explosion kind of in a weird way calms them down because it releases all this energy. Well, the the key is obviously not to release the energy that way, to find other ways to start to calm your body down when you sense that anxiety coming and find, well, you know, do some type of deep breathing, something that will be relaxation, even an adult time out at that moment to remove yourself and to pray, to calm yourself down, you know, breathe slowly and then begin to work on, you know, what's triggering this in my mind? Like, why am I getting so upset so easily? And we can teach people to recognize those triggers and then do something about it.
0: All right. If I've recognized, if I've gone through that process, I have put myself in a timeout. I have done my breathing exercises and mm-hmm. I have identified what's triggering me. Um, let's talk about that next step, because I think that's really critically important for people. How do you sort of reset the trigger or, un, or unload the, I mean, you know, a sort of unload yeah. the emotional gun?
2: well you're you're changing you're changing the way you respond, so if you change your behavior and you calm down and you take a time out and you do all of that, then it's going to change your emotion right so calming mm-hmm. is the tension is the opposite of tension, so then you relax yourself a bit to so that you're not going there you have a moment to think, and this is where the, the it's called cognitive behavioral therapy. it really works well for people with this because it teaches you. To recognize the things that trigger you, you can ask any family member what triggers that person. Uh, you know, I can ask a mom of a teenager who she asks her to get off of her um, iPad and she gets really angry and throws the iPad. Well, what's the trigger for that? The trigger for that is, you know, I want to do what I want to do, not what you tell me to do. So there's a bit of a rebellion problem going on there that has to be addressed and and authority issues and you know triggers for when I give you a directive that's going to that's going to set her off and you have to kind of work with that with somebody and then help them recognize that that's the trigger and once you can identify the trigger and then do a different behavior as a result you begin to break the pattern in the brain and you can change behavior so it's very there's there's a lot of help the problem with this this explosive type of anger is that people don't typically come into therapy or they don't ask for help until the people in their relationships, you know, the people around them say, you got a problem. I don't want to be around you. You're frightening me. You're scaring our children. Uh, um, or you, you know, you might be at work and your boss says one more outburst like that and you're fired. That's what usually brings people into some type of help situation. But I would encourage people there's help. There's even some medications. Now, I, I don't always go there first, but there are some medications that can help with severe aggressive impulses that can help someone calm down as well.
0: Hmm. All right, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, Dr. Linda Mental and I are going to talk about the dark side of legalized marijuana. That's up next You're on Mornings with Carmen. Oh, again,
2: sure.
0: Continuing my conversation with Dr. Linda Mental, you can find her at the Dr. Linda Mental show here on the Faith Radio Network and also at DrLindaMental.com. Okay. Uh, medical, well, not medical marijuana, recreational marijuana, um, now legal in a growing number of states across the country. Um, lots of people, you know, talking about the the upside, not a lot of people talking about the dark side. So let's do that.
2: Yeah. So Carmen, I, you know, I have been dealing with, as so many people have in the last couple of years with the opioid crisis, right? So we have an opioid crisis because of um, the history of what happened with prescription drugs and then people uh, getting hooked and then going to a black market, and we've just got a mess. And during the pandemic, opioid overdoses we thought we were getting a sort of a leveling or even a decrease, and now those deaths are rising again um, because of the loneliness and the hopelessness that people experience and the difficult things that people are going through. And then we have a meth crisis that is on the rise as well. So people turning to methamphetamines and using this. So basically, when you're talking about substance use, you're talking about a way that people cope to escape and avoid a lot of bad feelings and negative feelings, which never goes well for a good adjustment in life. And now we're adding legalized cannabis to all of this, marijuana. So it defies any common sense. Honestly, as someone in the mental health field, as someone who works with physicians, I'm teaching at a medical school, we are trying to figure out what is the common sense of doing this. And, you know, I wrote this blog on the dark side of legalized marijuana because our governor in the state of Virginia, Commonwealth of Virginia, is a physician. And he's Mm. just on talking about how great it is and you know it's going to create all kinds of tax revenue obviously and money which is really what this is all about because now we're going to have major health issues associated with this too which will cost billions of dollars to treat so i look at this and i start thinking about okay so here we have physical health issues that are rising because when you smoke something and a lot of people smoke joints and i get 56 psychiatric evaluations in every month that I have to grade, and I can't tell you how many of them, um, probably 54 of the 56 people are just smoking marijuana As if it's just a part of their everyday life, like having a glass of wine. So people are smoking a lot of marijuana, it hurts the lungs, it can lead to daily coughing, to phlegm, to lung infections, Uh, and people that are older need to be really careful because an older person is at greater risk for heart attack because when you smoke, That raises your blood pressure for about three hours after you smoke it. So there is a lot of problems. And then women who are pregnant, I heard some woman who came in and she asked me, she said, well, I was told by one of those, you know, cannabis stores that I'm pregnant and I'm having nausea, so I should just go ahead and smoke a joint and that would help me. Well, marijuana can result in lower birth rates and impact the development brain of the fetus. So that is like the worst thing you could tell somebody. And this is one of my other beefs is I was out in Palm Springs uh, for a conference, an opioid conference with the Mayo Clinic a few a year ago, a year and a half ago, right before COVID. And I went, Palm Springs has... Um, legalized marijuana everywhere. There's just stores. It's like going into your, your, you know, your regular five and dime or something. And so I went in there and the, the guy I went in there just out of curiosity. And the guy came up to me and started telling me all the health benefits. And I started laughing. I was like, really, you're going to talk to me who, by the way, works in substance use, um, what the health benefits of this are. Let me give you a few lessons. And by the way, you are not a physician and you are giving out medical advice without a license." So you need to really think about what you're saying to people. And in my field, one of the biggest, biggest concerns I have is that we now know that if you have any propensity towards psychosis, that smoking marijuana can, can make that happen earlier. There's even been a study that shows that it might be an onset for schizophrenia in some people.
0: Mm. So
2: this idea that this is harmless and it doesn't do anything, it affects people's cognitions, it affects memory really poorly it the one of the biggest things is it affects motivation and so it's not uncommon for me to talk to a family and say yeah my eleven eleventh grader dropped out of high school because he just was so unmotivated to go to school because he's smoking marijuana every morning and during the day he didn't want to learn so, so this mm-hmm. isn 't harmful stuff.
0: You know, when when you're talking about this, I'm thinking about conversations that I have, you know, been party to um, about, you know, sort of the moral barometer that this change across the United States of America, you know, it's it's a bit of a a temperature taker in terms of uh, the nation's moral barometer that we think that psychotropic drugs— You know, class one felony drugs um, ought not only be legalized for medical use, but ought be legalized for. I mean, the the word is recreational, recreational recreational use. Mm -hmm. And so, when we, you know, we we should pause and we should ask ourselves as Christians the connection between that which is moral and that which is legal. And sometimes things are legalized that are not moral. I mean, abortion is legal and yet amoral. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, uh, you know, I do think that the the conversations that we need to be having in terms of worldview um, are really, really significant. And obviously the health implications um, and the implications for, you know, education, for public safety, for work productivity, you know, for family relationships, on and on and on and on and on. Um, everything is affected when I become less than God created me to be, when I am using some kind of, of – uh, Drug that is changing my ability to reason and interact with clarity in the world, and so mm-hmm. um, thank you, Linda, for for bringing for surfacing this um, such an important important conversation.
2: And we're going to have to keep that conversation front and center because what tends to happen is the other of other voices get louder, and then it, you know the other ones that have the concerns get get si- silenced and even canceled in today's culture, but. It's it's a real problem when you're teaching people to cope with life, not with God, but with substances that you can escape and avoid and just check out. That is a very concerning thing that every parent should be thinking about. And if you're one of the adults who's using this. Why are you trying to check out of life rather than trying to get deeper into your walk with God and try to have a real joy, a real peace, something that will really stick with you and will have eternal consequences rather than just escaping, avoiding through a substance. We need to be compassionate, though, again, with people that have this. karma. I don't want to say, you know, when you have a substance addiction, when you have an addiction, you have now a chronic brain disease, just like diabetes or something else. Addiction is horrible horrible, it's destructive. And we need to have compassion for people who are stuck in that, because maybe they were let in thinking it was harmless and that nothing would happen. And now their brain has been rewired, and it has been changed towards that addiction, and they need some real help. So, you know, we've got to keep this conversation in the church as well.
0: Yeah, which I think leads us to a conversation maybe in a future uh, episode about you know sort of the gateway drugs to all kinds of addictions. Um, mm-hmm. My guess is there's a gateway drug to full blown porn addiction in the same way there are gateway drugs to heroin addiction. Like, I mean, I just think that there are there are conversations for us to have um, about not taking the first step in that direction that that leads to those dominoes that end up in you know what James just. Dis- dis- describes his death right yeah it changes the brain
2: so the earlier you use the brain changes toward addiction and that creates a pathway that's like going from zero to 50 on a highway much
0: quicker Mm. all right we gotta leave it right there we're over time but linda thank you so much dr linda mental you guys need to listen to her show the dr linda mental show and read what she's writing online at drlindamental.com. we'll be right back uh reflecting on the passage of time and hinge moments it occurred to me that um there are some 5 year anniversaries that have just taken place in my own life um that i i thought about in reference to the hinge moment that i shared earlier which was you know somebody suggesting that radio would be a good a good place for me to um to land at this point in my life and career and so um I'm going to talk a little bit about the life and death of two individuals, Todd DeKryger and Susan Andrews, um, who both died young, one in uh, February of 2016, another in April of 2016. And I'm going to do so in the context of conversations about um, two very well-known people, Chadwick Boseman and DMX, whose lives uh, were also cut short and who were both recently celebrated in their communities as well. So that conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
1: God has a promised land for you to take. This is Max Locato. I sat across the table from a man in midlife misery. He described his life with words like stuck and rut and stalled. He's a Christian, but he can't tell you the last time he defeated a temptation or experienced an answered prayer. 20 years into his faith, he fights the same battles he was fighting the day he came to Christ. It's as if the door to spiritual growth has a lock, and everyone has a key but him. Joshua 21, 43 says, So the Lord gave Israel all of the land of which he had sworn to give, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The promised land, God's vision for your life, yours for the taking, Expect to be challenged. The enemy won't go down without a fight. But your glory days await you. This is Max Lucado.
0: I feel like I want to write a book called Life is Weird. Or maybe the first sentence is Life is Weird yeah life is weird. Um, and I make that observation uh, noting the the Academy Awards took place last night and almost nobody watched. Um, they're called the Oscars. Almost nobody watched uh, till the very end. Well, the people who were watching at the very end thought they were going to experience one thing and instead they experienced something very, very different. Surprises still do happen. Uh, apparently the votes still do matter and the outcomes still are secret. So, there you go. That is what I now know for sure about uh, the Oscars. How do I know that? Um, well, the people who plan the Academy Awards decided to move the um, the announcement of the winner of the best Actor award to the very end. normally that uh, you know that sort of pinnacle moment in the program. Is reserved for the you know the, the the best film of the year. Instead, the Oscar for Best Actor was reserved till the end because because the people who planned the event anticipated one winner and in fact got another. So they anticipated that Chad Chadwick Boseman was going to was going to win the Oscar for Best Actor, um, and and that they were going to have an opportunity for this this you know sort of crescendo at the end of the Oscars last night celebrating this beautiful African American. Um, who died in a most untimely, uh, well, he died of cancer in what I view as a most untimely way. However, obviously, according to God's timing, uh, precisely the right time. Instead, um, the guy who won was asleep, asleep, halfway around the world. Well, not even quite halfway around the world, in Wales, because that guy's 83 and he didn't stay up. He didn't stay awake. He was in bed. Uh, when he won the Oscar for Best Actor, and I am talking about 83-year-old Anthony Hopkins. It was to everyone's surprise that Anthony Hopkins won Best Actor for his role in The Father, which is a very poignant film that we have talked about here on a couple of occasions with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. You can read a review of The Father at PluggedIn.com if you want to do so. Um, Anthony Hopkins became not only uh, a well, a two-time Oscar winner. He won his first Oscar for Silence of the Lambs in 1991. Um, Not a film I would recommend. Uh, He won yesterday for his role in The Father, a movie I do recommend. He is the oldest person to ever win an Oscar. We could have that conversation today. But instead, I think we'll have a conversation about who Anthony Hopkins chose to honor when he woke up, found that he had won an Oscar, and posted a little video on Instagram in the Wales countryside. So, right? What a world we live in. Life is weird. Anthony Hopkins uh, said, good morning. Here I am in my homeland of Wales, and at 83 years of age, I did not expect to get this world award. I really didn't. I'm grateful to the Academy. Thank you. I want to pay tribute to Chadwick Boseman, who was taken from us far too early. And again, thank you all very much. I really did not expect this, so I feel very privileged and honored. Thank you. Um, I think it's fair to say he didn't expect it, um, evidenced by the fact that he clearly did not write an acceptance speech. But I appreciate that in his acceptance speech, he honors um, Chadwick Boseman. Why? Chadwick Boseman was a brother in Christ in a really genuinely bright light. Um, he lived with a power of purpose. Um, he lived with a winsomeness of faith, and he died at the age of 43 um, he was the title character in the Oscar-winning film Black Panther. That would be the way most of us uh, know and, um, and will remember him. Um, what a wonderful example of a life well-lived in Christ and, um, and worthy um, worthy of noting. You know, he's, he is a person who died, but he is a person, most notably, who died in faith which made me also think about the recent death of DMX. And for those of you who don't recognize that, I talked about the death of DMX with, um. oh, Paul, help me remember. Wasn't it Adam Holtz? No. No, I no, feel no, like no. Was, um, Peter? Um, oh, I feel Nick like Pitts. it was Nick that's Pitts. Oh, Nick Pitts, that's right. That's right, it was Nick. Yeah. Yeah, so um, when Nick Pitts and I talked about the death of DMX because I acknowledge that I didn't know him. Well, apparently DMX um, was a very, very active member of um, of, of a church. Um, he is a Grammy-nominated rapper. Um, he grew up just north of New York City, and he developed iconic hip-hop songs such as Rough Riders Anthem and Party Up Up in Here, um, his music focused on themes of religion and violence and, re- and uh, redemption and uh, apparently inspired people both here in the United States and around the world. Um, there was a two hour service um, on Saturday and um, he has 15 kids and many of them gave tribute during, uh, during the service. The service was not called a funeral but a homegoing service that in itself is a testimony and a witness and I want to talk about the testimony and witness in my own life um, of a couple of people who in uh, by my by my clock you know went home to the Lord too soon and I want to pay, pay tribute after a very brief break to Todd dereger and Susan Andrews who both went home five years ago this spring We'll be right back
1: Somehow
0: you want me, oh, how you love me. Somehow that frees me to take my hands off of my life and the way it should go. The closer we live to one another, um, the the more people we know, the more significant our relationships become or our network of relationships become. The closer we get to both life and death. So the smaller the world becomes or the more people that we know, the longer we live, the greater our awareness of the reality of death. And so um, as we witness and mourn and grieve alongside the people of India, who right now are experiencing a horrendous spike in COVID deaths, and as we tend closer to home to those families who have um, an empty seat at the table this year because of COVID right here in the United States. Um, As we recognize um, a a terrible fire in a hospital in Iran um, where oxygen tanks exploded and some nearly 100 people uh, died in a COVID unit there. Um, As we examine what is happening in nations like Chad, where there is, um, I mean, essentially... A war. I mean, there's a war going on. Um, and we think about places around the world that we know about. Death is real and yet removed because we don't necessarily know any of the people in that room. Here are some of the things that we do know about many of them. Um, they did not die in the faith. They did not die in the faith. And that makes their death all the more grievous uh, to me. I want to talk about the witness and testimony of people who did die in the faith all of these people died in um february march and april of 2016 and so as i was thinking about you know the hinge moment in my life when i for the very first time sat down in front of a radio microphone in april of of 2016 i was actually these storylines were the ones that were happening in my own life uh in february of 2016 my one of my husband's very best friends his mentor in ministry his uh his son uh, died as the result of an opioid overdose from a drug interaction um, following a back surgery. My uh, co- my sweet cousin Jennifer, her husband Todd Krieger, who had been serving as missionaries in Mango uh, Mango Togo, West Africa, for more than ten years at that point, pouring out their lives every day that other people might see the love of God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Todd uh, Todd. Was called home, as Jenny put it in her blog post um, in in February of 2016. Um, While well, she described it this way, Jesus called Todd home from the work that he was doing, planting and harvesting in Togo. This is the mystery of God's will, but God chose this day to reward Todd with an unequal with the unequal joy of heaven. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death with my sweet cousin uh, Jennifer and her four boys um, has been an ongoing reality in uh, the life of our family, as you can imagine. My dear friend Ray Jones, um, who is frankly one of the most spectacular servants of God I have ever known, one of the most interesting and intriguing people, Um, he had a gift for languages, and every year he, um, he determined to read the Bible in a different language so that he would be able to converse more fluently with people in that language. When he encountered them, uh he traveled a lot for uh his work on the, on behalf of the u s government and um, and found all kinds of occasions so he had learned Arabic he had learned um well every language that you and I would consider like knowable and in the last year of his life, as I recall he was learning uh he was learning. Particular dialects uh, that are spoken in remote parts of Haiti, so that when he encountered people from those remote dialects, he would be able to converse with them about the Word of God. Uh, Ray Jones went home to be with the Lord on March first, twenty sixteen. Um, and then, you know, as the as the weeks were approaching and we were preparing to launch the first uh, of of the radio ministry episodes of the Reconnect, which was my first radio program. My colleague in ministry, my best friend here in Middle Tennessee, um, a person who was my same age, we worked together side by side. She was the um, she was the brains of the ministry for sure, no question about it. Um, her eyes were yellow uh, on Easter Sunday in uh, in April of 2016, and her husband took her to the hospital. And um, eleven days later, she died. And. That loss hangs with me in ways that few others do. And the fifth anniversary of Susan Andrews' death was on the 22nd of April. Death comes. Each and every one of these people that I've just described to you um, lived as those prepared to die. They lived as those prepared to die. And I think that that is a question that each and every one of us must Of necessity, ask every single day Am I living today as one who is prepared to die? One of the things that Michael Lindsay did not tell you um, about the death of his cousin, Trent, um, which is really the hinge moment in Michael Lindsay's life that moved him to uh, accept the possibility that at such a young age, God might be calling him to be the president of Gordon College. What Michael didn't tell you is that um, Trent was on a, uh, on, an, on a highway and in front of him, he saw a state trooper hydroplane and spin out on a wet road. And Trent pulled off to the side and stopped his vehicle to be sure that the trooper was okay. And while he was walking from his vehicle to the trooper's vehicle, a semi-tractor trailer um, hydroplaned and jackknifed and took his life instantly. In the midst of a good Samaritan act, Michael Lindsay's cousin um, died one day. That's how quickly um, life can become death and for Christians become life anew. Are we living today as those who are prepared to die? Um, There really are two hinge moments for each of us, ultimately. The hinge moment when we are presented with the gospel and we decide to either accept and receive Jesus for who he is, the Savior and Lord of all, and our Savior as well, or reject him and choose to go our own way. And in that moment, when in death, we discover that we have made an eternal choice. The decisions that we make in life redound into the life which is to come. And so let us live today as those who are prepared to die. Let us walk faithfully with those who are even now entering the valley of the shadow of death, recognizing that's a round trip. So we need to walk with those who walk into the valley of the shadow of death, and then we need to be prepared to walk back out with those, um, with those who are yet going to be here grieving in the land of the living. And we need to be prepared to face the one with whom we will live in all eternity, and so I invite you today, if you have never done so before, consider the great and good invitation of God to receive his grace in Jesus Christ that you might that you might live today not in fear of death, but as one who recognizes that those who die in faith, yet shall we live again and be together forever in the fullness of the presence of God in the kingdom of heaven. I will see Todd DeKryger and Ray Jones and Susan Andrews who I am confident are saving me a seat at the feast in heaven. You've got a seat there too. I'm hoping that it does not remain an empty chair. Thank you for joining me this morning on Mornings with Carmen. Okay, where in the Word are you today? Let us be people who are found in the Word of Scripture and who apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day. Let's walk our faith out into the world that God so loves and do so in ways that honor Jesus. I'm encouraging you to to cultivate that space, that garden of culture that God uh, has placed you in. Let's cultivate that today. Maybe today is a day for removing stones. Maybe today is a day for enriching soil. Maybe today is a day for planting seeds of peace. Maybe today is a day for acknowledging the water of of life and let it well up within you. Uh, Maybe today is a day to reflect the light of Christ into the world that others might turn like sunflowers toward him. Maybe today is a day for a harvest of righteousness in your own life. Maybe today is a day that you go out uh, into the fields that are ripe for harvest and, uh, and gather in on behalf of the Lord those who are simply waiting to be asked, those who are simply waiting to be asked to follow Jesus, to receive the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen Laburge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app.